Thank you so much for coming and welcome to the Studio Not Live press conference for the most recent game against the Fort Michaels Ramblers and the Chula Vista Waves. Uh, here with us right now is Cooper Lydon, head coach of the Fort Michaels Ramblers out of Fort Michaels. Um, why don't you talk about that game today? Thanks so much. Uh, wow, the game today against the Chula Vista Waves. I mean, the fact of the matter is we were, we are a better team. I'd be lying if I uh, said I wasn't cocky coming into the game. I'd also be lying if I said that I didn't work these boys like high hell to make sure that we showed them who we are now. I mean, the fact of the matter is this is the greatest season we've ever had in the Sunshine Conference. Uh, we're 8-0, and haven't lost a game. Every other team has lost at least two games. I think it's pretty clear who's dominating the season. It's the Fort Michaels Ramblers. I mean, we recruited these star players for a reason, to use them to their full potential, and that's what we're seeing this season and uh, we're coming out, we're dominating, and I wouldn't be surprised if I was saying goodbye to this conference and hello to a better one next season. You know, I'm not going to lie. I have no problem leaving. I, I became the head coach of this team with the express intention of bringing us to the best conference we can be in. So that's the plan moving forward. Um, a lot of people ask me what it's like to be a solo podcaster as well as the head coach of a fake college football team on my phone. Um, I'll tell you what, it's a combined three hours of work a week. Uh, most of those hours may be going to the game, actually. Um, and it's not easy. It's not easy because I'm not good at either of those things. You know, I'm not a great solo podcaster. I'm not a great head coach, but I'll tell you what, one of those things is working out pretty well and we're winning games. The other one is going how it's going, okay? And I'd appreciate a little more support. God, it's really funny to act like you have to have a podcast. That's kind of the disposition I like to go about with having a podcast is I act like I have to do it every week and no matter how it does, I have to do it. Because right now I'm not beholden to any fans, really. So, you know, the only thing I'm beholden to is myself, and I don't like myself enough, so I need to make something up. So I kind of like to pretend that for whatever reason, once a week, I have to come in here and record a podcast. And if I don't, I die. I am killed by the U.S. government or sort of a shadow government within the deep state. Um, that's fun to imagine. It adds some stakes to the podcast. You know, imagine every week behind this curtain is a man in a suit with his own Zoom recorder recording the podcast to then relay back to headquarters, and also with a gun. There's a gun cocked, safety off, finger on the trigger, held by a man whose name he will not tell me. He comes every week. Right behind here. He's right behind this curtain. Surprising you haven't noticed him. But he comes every week, and he makes sure that I record to this podcast. Because if I don't, then obviously things are going to pop off with Russia, you know? Um, this week's news about the Russia-Ukraine war, I don't know. Um, I don't follow the news. If you follow the news, comment. Let me know how it's going. Are they still talking about it? It's kind of funny nowadays that stuff will still be going on and the news will stop talking about it. 
Like, that's like the base. Like, that is completely unacceptable if you're pretending to have a country with good media that's actually telling you what's going on in the world. That's absolutely unacceptable. To just have things that are no longer in vogue is not okay. And it's very funny that that is just a given to every single news source in the world. Even the ones trying to be more honest. Because I think in the last few years, there's been a lot of new media outlets come out. A lot of them are very partisan in response to the partisan times, you know. But a lot of them are the complete opposite. They're very in the middle because of how divided things are. But what sucks is that those news sources in the middle eventually have to keep going and make money. And if you're the news source that's just reporting on the big things happening, then you're going to be talking about, you know, Russia, Ukraine a lot. You're going to be talking about a bunch of other shit that people don't even care about even less, you know? If you're a good news source, you got to still be talking about the Armenian genocide sometime. You know what I mean? You got to bring that up. That hasn't really been dealt with. It's still an issue. It's practically still going on. So you have to talk about it. You have to bring that up. But they're not at all. Like, there's a whole crisis over there going on right now, similar to the Russia-Ukraine thing, you know? And I know that because I know an Armenian guy. And he's like, it's not good over there. Turkey might just annex Armenia, and I don't think anybody's going to do anything about it. But if you're running these fair news sources, you're going to have some boring coverage because people want to hear about the Bud Light trans controversy. That's what people want to hear about, which is crazy because that's not news. Anything a beer company does to sell beer besides a terrorist attack, is not news. If Bud Light took two planes and flew them into the Freedom Tower, so that's two planes in one building this time, if they did that to sell beer, first off, it wouldn't work. Second off, it would be on the news, and it should be. But if a lady who had a penis, or still does, I don't know, drinks the beer, and they film her doing it, that is not news. That's barely a thing that happened. That's what I think is so funny about the Bud Light. I think it was uh, Dylan. Something, I forgot the last name. It was Dylan something, right? That's her name. But um, people were so mad about that. And it's just so funny because it's like, you know, if you're transphobic, anytime you see any trans person being accepted into anything, you're angry because you believe it's wrong. And then when you see him accepted into a very American white trash kind of brand like Bud Light, then you're really angry. So I get where the anger comes from. It's wrong. It's stupid. It's ignorant. You're only angry because you're an idiot. But if that is what angers you, I get why you're angry. You shouldn't be, but I I get it because you're like if you're a racist, you see something good happen to somebody who's not your race. You'll be angry because you're right. That's how you work. But it's like, why why do we indulge those people? It's weird that now the news is just indulging what makes transphobes and racists angry. 
And then it's also indulging what makes, you know, people who want to stop that angry. I, I, I don't even want to say the words we have for them, like allies or woke people, because I'm just, that shouldn't, we shouldn't even have words for that. Like, it's sad that we have a word called allies. It shows how much we failed as a country to protect people, that people that are like, no, I'm on their side, have a word for them. So, like, it should be everybody. It should be everybody, and then there should be 2% that doesn't like them. Really, there should be zero, but there's going to be something. So there should be a small percent, and we'll have a name for them. It's the same thing as, like, there's not a word for people who aren't Nazis, you know? But anyway, that's news, and these middle news organizations cannot talk about that stuff because they know that's not news. But then they don't get the traffic. They don't get the traffic that they want. I remember I took a media literacy class in college, which was a class... Um, I think it's a new kind of class. I think it was invented not long ago and is especially necessary nowadays in the age of, you know, Trump and stuff when he would just bring up some new site nobody's ever heard of and all of a sudden that's the biggest thing. Like, what he did for Breitbart is crazy. Um, but it was a media literacy class. And I remember, uh, I didn't learn anything because I'm an idiot, but there was so much to learn in that class about how to intake media and how to be a good person in terms of collecting facts to have a view of the world they gave us a graph it was just a line graph and it was on one side it was you know far left on the other it was far right politically and on the middle it was moderate obviously and it put news organizations on either of those sides so you know it's like cnn was like a quarter away from most left and then there's some organizations you haven't really heard about on the far far left and then, like, Fox is, like, uh, also about a quarter right. And then there's, like, far, 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 like, just racist publications on the other side. And then in the middle was all of what was considered by whatever organization made this to be what was considered to be the, the most moderate, the most non-political, the most these-are-the-facts news organizations. And I, and probably you had not, and will never hear again, of any of those organizations. They're the most unpopular news organizations I've ever heard of. I mean, they were running out of names to call the news, because you can only call it so much. You know, there's just things called, like, This Now, USA, This Week. You know, you can't even get today, you know. But yeah, that's the problem. It's really not interesting to have a news organization that just talks about important things going on. But it's interesting because the important things are so much more interesting. Really, like like Russia invaded Ukraine. It's very interesting. We all agreed that that was interesting for about a week. I don't know if we all cared, but we all agreed it was at least interesting that that was happening. And then a week later, it wasn't interesting anymore. And now a trans woman being on a Bud Light can is more interesting. But it's not. Like, there are people across the world that are dying in a war that I don't understand, which has been happening my entire life. Most of those wars done by the country I was born in. So I get a certain malaise to it, but... You have to eventually, as an American, get sick and tired of being bored by international travesty. You know what I mean? Like, I really, 
I really applaud the people who hear about international travesty and care. But I don't know if Gen Z is the generation that's going to care. I have a joke about it now. I say, you know, Gen Z, we've never cared about the government. That's why every day we wake up, we go on Twitter, and we're like, all right, let's see if we can make Jimmy Fallon kill himself, you know? Because that's, that's what you do. When you, when you grow up and you think that your government did 9-11, you don't really care about changing the government. What you become active, but what you become is socially active. And that's what all of Gen Z is. And I think that's why people are pretty annoyed by our views and beliefs, because they enter your home. You know what I mean? The things we believe enter Christmas. They enter your lives. They're changes that you make personally to like or dislike certain things, to say or not say certain things, to do or not do certain things. It's you. It's a personal responsibility. And I'm not saying everything we say is amazing, and the only reason people don't like it is because they don't want to take personal responsibility. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that that's a lot more annoying. Then in the 60s, it was a bunch of kids at colleges with signs being like, hey, stop this war. We don't want this war to keep happening. Stop this war. And people got mad at it in their homes, sure, but there was nothing that they could do to stop it, you know? But now, what a lot of Gen Z says is like, stop being mean to your gay fucking nephew. Stop being mean to him. And that is a lot harder than hearing stop war because a guy at Thanksgiving goes, well, stop war. I don't agree. Fuck them. And then that is what it is. Maybe you fight about it at the table. I don't know. But now it's like, hey, stop being mean to Jacob. You've been mean to Jacob all of these years. You're done. You're done being mean to Jacob. That's a tough change because it feels good to go to Thanksgiving, have a few Bud Lights, make fun of your gay nephew. But now your fucking niece is getting mad at you for being mean to your nephew. You got a trans woman on your Bud Light can. Social change has entered your home. The world has entered your supermarket grocery list, okay? So there are things you have to change within yourself, and that's why it's not fun. But also, people learn pretty quickly, you don't have to change those things. You can just keep doing those things. It's just people will have a bigger problem with it. And I think that's what people have to remember now, especially the people trying to make those changes, is that these are personal changes, that these are decisions, that all of these debates are questions people ask themselves and decide for themselves. So it's not like, you know, there's a bad kind of view that a lot of, you know, smart, but people would call them woke people, have, uh, which is that these things have to be done. That this is how it is. That this is the world now. Me, as a guy that agrees with those people, I'd say I'd like it to be, you know. I'd like people to feel comfortable expressing themselves and being who they are. I think so, too. But I also know... That, that doesn't mean it's how the world is. What it means is there's a whole group of people, there's millions and millions of young people now that want the world to be a certain way. And there's millions and millions of older people who don't want it to be that way. And luckily, the great equalizer of death will figure out that conundrum, and chances are we'll move about, you know, 10 points plus on the being a little more nice to people scale. But 
We're also moving back. People aren't that happy to have conversations anymore. You know what I mean? My uncle doesn't come to Christmas parties because my other uncle hates him, you know? So that's an issue. But I don't know. It's confusing. And, you know, when you come to this podcast to listen to it, you have to ask yourself a question, which is, are we going to be the greatest revolution the world has ever seen? Is everybody listening to this podcast going to chug Bud Light and also storm the Capitol? Because I want this to be an inclusive movement. And what that means is accepting all types. And I'm not the type of guy to storm a Capitol. But some people are the type of people to storm Capitals. And who am I to say that they can't listen to the podcast? Uh, No, this podcast does not, nor has it ever, supported the events that transpired on January 6th. I forgot what year. But you know what? Any year. I don't support anything that happened on January 6th of any year until 2022. Three. This year's January 6th was good. But every January 6th before that, I hated it. One of them I really didn't like. One of them was really not cool. But the rest of the January 6ths weren't so great either. One year I fell off my bike. I do not support the events of January 6, 2005 when I fell off my bike and scraped my arm. No, I don't. Another year, I lost a flag football championship. 2007, January 6. No thanks. Bad January 6. If you ask me, January 6 should be taken out of the calendar altogether. Go 5 to 7. Fuck it. I don't care. I don't want it in here. It's a bad day, okay? It's a bad day. And if you support January 6 as a day, you're a piece of shit. Swear to God. Okay? That's what you get when you come to the Gen Z college football program podcast. Okay? You get hard lines. You want to come talk to the head coach? Going to get the whistle, okay? We are running a serious offense. We do we do not care, okay? We're here to win. We're here to party. That's what it is, okay? So, I don't know. I went to an audition recently. It was uh it was good to see the actors again. Cuz if you don't know, for everybody not in the business, uh, I'm a commercial actor, which is not acting. Let's be very clear, you're selling a product. That was told to me by a commercial acting coach. He was very, he's a good guy. I do commercial acting. I took a commercial acting class, one of the best in L.A. And he told me and the other actors, commercial acting is not acting. You are not actors. You're selling a product. The only reason you'll get hired is the look and if you are okay to work with. All right? Line reading barely matters because you're not actors. So remember that. And I liked hearing that because I was like 19 years old. I got into this agency because my mom is friends with the guy. I was lucky to be there. He's a great agent. They laid it down immediately. They were like, this is not, stop. You're not artists. And that felt good because I don't have big aspirations of being an actor. I like doing stand-up. I would obviously never say no to an acting role, but I also don't think I'm going to be offered many because I don't pursue it, you know? Um... But I liked hearing that because I was like, okay, good. I'm here for the money. This guy knows I'm here for the money. But I think it was tough because there were old, old people in this commercial acting class. There was a, remember there was like this overweight, bald, ugly, 60-year-old dude. He was getting into acting. 
And it's funny because all it takes is some fucking idiot to tell him, like, oh, yeah, there's a lot of character actors that they need, and people can make a living off of commercial acting and get a couple spots in a couple movies. You make residuals. You can make a real living off of it. Not a great living, but a lot better. And so he thinks he should go and enter Hollywood. And there was, like... It was the classic thing is there was the there's like the one old man where you know why you don't know why he's there. There's the woman that's like extremely hot, but in a way that's boring because she went to a plastic surgeon and got the same face as everybody else. There's the really buff uh, black dude that used to be like an athlete because he talks about it a lot. That's how you know. And when you ask him who he wants to be, he says the rock. Um you know, then there's, like, the all-American fucking boring-ass white dude, kind of the same as the hot lady with the same face as everybody, where you just want to be like, yeah, you're good-looking, but why are you here, you know? Like, nobody gives a fuck that anybody's good-looking anymore. Especially now, you look at the hottest people in Hollywood, they're all weird hot. Nobody's normal hot anymore. If you're normal hot, you should have gotten famous in 2005. It's too late now. At least in, in the era we're in. Hang around. Truly hot people will come back. You'll be fine. But you might not be hot by then, so who knows? But... You know, that that's what the acting classes are full of. My favorite is always the guys that want to be The Rock. I, I remember I was in an online acting class of some sorts uh, with with one guy, and they asked him, they're like, who do you want to be? And he was like, I want to be like The Rock. And I just, I love guys that their plan is not just to be an actor, but to be The Rock, you know. Um, which also with The Rock, though, is to be a guy like The Rock, you have to start in a separate industry. That's how those acting careers start. You know what I mean? Like, Jason Momoa is extremely famous. Obviously, he's an A-list. But he would be even more famous if he started off as a wrestler. Did he? Do I not know that? Did he start as a wrestler and I don't know that? I don't know. But if you start as a wrestler, you can immediately get into big-budget movies that pay you too much money to not be that good at acting. And that's the way you do that. You don't just start acting. But yeah, it's these these actors. Um, and I went to an audition recently. And... um commercial audition, in-person. Haven't been to an in-person audition in a while. During the pandemic, obviously, they started doing what are called self-tapes, which is where they send you instructions for the audition. They have you film it yourself. You send it in. Then they they watch and they tell you if you're good and maybe you do it again and then maybe do it again. Maybe they pick you. But this time, I did one at home. They liked it. They called me back, got a call back. They said, come in person. We got to see those pearly whites up close and personal. And I went to a room in South Central LA and they fucked me. They fucked me hard and good and good for about two and a half hours. And they said, kid, you didn't get the part. No, I just went to um, LA casting offices off of La Brea. We all know it. Um, and I was out in an audition with actors in person for the first time in a while, which is funny because... They don't get to go out a lot and do their thing. You got to realize actors, most of the time, they got a job, probably a serving job. They come home, they hang out with friends. Maybe they practice some lines on their own to get better. But for the most part, they wait for auditions. And they wait to get to go out in person and see other actors. Those are their open mics. I, I feel very lucky that I have open mics, you know, because I, I do stand-up. Stand-up's the main thing. If I want to do stand-up, I can do stand-up almost any day of the week. And a few days of that week will be a show. One of to two of them at the comedy store. So it's great. But even if I don't have those shows, I get to go out to open mics. And I get to do my thing in front of people 
in real life, in front of their faces, connect. But these actors, they're in their home a lot. So when they come out to the auditions, they're way too excited. They are just amped. They want to shake everybody's hand. And they all do this funny thing where you get paired up with people a lot in auditions because a lot of times you're not going to be in the commercial alone. You'll be with somebody else doing something. So they pair you up. um, And when they pair you up, a lot of times the actor that you're paired up with will come over to you. If you're antisocial like me, they come over to you. And they meet you before the audition to establish a sort of chemistry. Which I think is funny because it's stupid to me. Because we're commercial acting. What fucking chemistry are we going to have, okay? Like, it'll go better if I can sit out here and I can make you laugh and we can become buds before we go in that room, sure. But, listen, man, we got five minutes. I'm not trying to bang out a friendship this quickly. Yesterday, I'm paired up with this girl. She comes up. She asked me if I heard the explanation. I'm like, no. And then I'm like, wait, yeah, I did. And the guy's like, you didn't hear the explanation? I'm like, I heard it. Whatever. It's a whole thing. They give you a rundown of the audition before you even go in the room. And then she's sitting next to me, and she's like, as a good casting director, I've worked with him before. And I was like, ooh, that's actor talk. All right, cool. Um, We talked for like two seconds. And then I was on my phone coaching my goddamn college football team. And then she, uh, she started texting a guy in the same room. This was a really weird moment. Okay, let me go back. Stay with me. Before she walked over, sat down next to me, I walk into the room, sit down alone. This woman, who I later get paired up with, is standing, talking to another young man. They're both young people. They're talking. They're laughing. They're giggling. They're having a good old time. They're friends. They're buds. They know each other. They ran into each other here. Isn't that exciting? So they're joking. They're token. They're smoking. They're hanging out. And there's an old man in the waiting room for the auditions. And he looks at these two young people, man and a woman, He looks at the man, and he's like 60, but he's spry because he's an actor. He has nothing to live for except himself, so he's way too energetic. He looks at him and he goes, you should marry her, which is an insane thing to say. And then they laugh, which I didn't like. I got why they did, but I kind of want people to just go, what? You know, you want more of that in life. But they laugh. And he goes, yeah, you guys laugh together, you know. And he's really, you know what I mean? Like, you know when somebody says something crazy like that, and you're like, ha, ha, ha. And then he doubles, and he's like, no, you make her laugh, you know. It could be good. He might have even mentioned having kids. Like, he he really went into it. And they laughed. And then the girl said, oh, well, it's funny. He actually used to date my best friend. And the guy goes, yeah, I used to date her, because he's one of those. Yeah, I used to date her best friend. And he goes, well, that's how it starts. Which is a very old man thing to say, to be like, that's how I met my wife. She was my girlfriend's sister, you know. And they laugh again, and and she goes, man, I feel like I'm in a rom-com right now. And then they all laugh again. And maybe I'm an asshole, but I was listening. Of course I was listening to this. And I was just like, all of these people are out of their minds. Like, they're all out of their minds. Like, I'm a guy that wants to be successful, And I want to be famous because it means I can sell tickets. I don't want to be famous so I can be bothered on the street, but I want to sell tickets. I want people to watch this, so i got to have some sort of following. So I want what they want. I'm not acting like I'm not crazy like them, but 
But this is a different kind of crazy. This is like a life is amazing, and it can just happen at any moment because they're actors. That's what they believe is you get popped, and then you get picked, and then you get put in everything, you know? Every actor believes this. Even today, when you know that's not the truth, even today, they still act like this. So it's these people that are like, I feel like I'm in a rom-com, and they just have this moment, and I wanted to go over and just be like, do you guys just think everything's going to work out? You guys shouldn't date. This guy's a piece of shit. Your friend probably told you he's a piece of shit. You're going to ruin your friendship to date this fucking shitty fellow failing actor because some old man told you to just because the three of you believe it's fucking La La Land? But anyway, she has this connection with this guy, you know? And this is why you got to cue in to people in a room, who they are, what their intentions are, what their connections with each other are. It really adds a zest to life, you know? It's something you can miss if you don't focus. And I'm I'm talking in a lower tone because this is serious. But, you know, 10 minutes later, get paired up with that girl. She's sitting next to me. I'm coaching college football. I got better shit to do than talk to her. She's texting, and she laughs while she's texting. Too loud. And the minute she laughs the first time, I go, she's texting that guy. And then that's confirmed because I hear him laugh, too, around the same time that she laughs. And this this laugh tennis goes back and forth, and I see her get up kind of look at him but at one point she just walks over I wanted to I wanted to look at her and go hey you can just go sit next to that guy we're not going to become friends before the audition just go sit next to him till we get called in eventually she did that was a good move I was wondering if she was texting him being like this guy's not becoming friends with me before the I don't know maybe it was about me I'm a good I'll take a laugh if I think somebody's laughing at me I just go you know what good people should laugh and if it's at me it's at me I don't know probably wasn't about me I'm probably just an insane narcissist but nonetheless they're just, they're laughing before they go in, and I don't know. I wish I didn't have that part of my brain, because there's just something about them being little buddies and texting and laughing with each other that I just wanted to go, ah, would you sh- both stop, okay? Because you know what this is, is he's being a piece of shit right now, because he's trying to fuck his ex's best friend, and that best friend is trying to fuck him. And that's kind of a beautiful thing about life is you see them making these moves and you're like, this would hurt some girl out there that I don't know. This would bum this girl out to see this happening, you know? But also, that's how some loves happen, you know? And it is funny because they're doing it so innocently. So ha 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 ha, giggle, you know, fun. We like each other. But at the end of the day, it's like you're fucking her friend, you know what I mean? Any hoozle. Um, I don't really support the actions of the uh, the American government during the 51 days in Waco, Texas, that they um, launched a bit of an assault on the residents of David Koresh and the followers of his Christian cult. Um, am I a fan of either people on either side of this scuffle? No. Not a big Koresh head. Not a big American government head. So I'm not a big fan. But it's funny because uh, a documentary on a huge police standoff or any crime or terrorist attack, you get into it because you hear about these things your whole life, especially a guy like me born in 99. You know, I wasn't even around really. Um you hear about these things, and you go, yeah, I've heard about Waco my whole life. I, I know 
essentially what it was. I've seen the pictures of the fire and the crane and, you know, but what happened there? You start watching these documentaries, and within moments, you don't know anything that happened there. Because they start explaining what happened at Waco. And it makes sense at first. They're like, okay, David. And I, you know what I like they do is they skip over the whole cult part. They just kind of skip over and they get right to the 51 days of this police standoff, which I liked because I watched it. And I only watched documentaries pretty much. So I was like, okay, there's going to be a documentary where, you know, we're going to have an episode or so learning about the cult and then the attack by the government itself is going to seem more palpable because we've learned what this cult was to people. But they don't do that at all. They just go, David Koresh was a fucking guy who believed in God, and he fucked guys' wives, and he probably fucked kids, and they all lived in this fucking house, and all the women there were fucking dumb. And they just kind of go into it, and you're like, okay, all right. They get into it, and they start off, and they go, so they lived in this house, they're Christian, they believed the apocalypse was coming, they were hoarding weapons, they were hoarding illegal weapons. They had fully automatic weapons, which were illegal. I think even to have in Texas. I don't think you. I don't think you can have those anywhere. I guess. Um, but it was fully auto weapons, uh, you know, modified weapons, and uh, the government eventually, even for a bunch of white people in Texas, was like, okay, a uh, lot of guns over here, not looking too good for us. We don't really like this. You know, we don't like having armored civilians. We're going to go check it out. So they show up. They set up snipers and shit in a house before they even knock on the fucking door. They go up and they like surround his house. And I think they might have spoke to him a little through a megaphone or something. They were like, come out. And then all of a sudden, a bunch of shots rang out and a gunfight started. And you listening to this, if you haven't seen the documentary, are wondering who shot first. And what's great is that the documentary is a bunch of interviews with law enforcement and former followers of the Branch Davidian Christian cult. Uh, two groups of people who are not going to take responsibility for the first shots fired at Waco. So if you're wondering how it started, nobody knows except a couple guys, and they're not telling anybody, chances are we probably fired on them first. But all the cops are like, I don't know what happened. All I know is people started shooting, which is what cops love to say when they went up to a place and just started shooting at it. Because you got to realize, even this crazy Branch Davidian cult with all these guns knows that even... The local police force has a pretty similar armament to what they have. So they know that they they can only fight this fight defensively. And they were planning on that. They said they believed one day the government's going to come and they're going to try and kill us all and we're going to have to defend ourselves, which is a crazy belief. But even the core of that belief is they're going to come to get us and we're going to have to defend ourselves. So those people are already from the bat like, ah, you know, this is going to be a toughie. You know what I mean? Like they believe in themselves and they believe in God. But like, this is going to be a toughie. So as crazy as they are, they're not really the kind of people to me that I think would start the fight. Because also I don't think they knew the apocalypse was coming this quick. You know what I mean? But they got tipped off. So these shots ring out. 
And then now I haven't finished the documentary. I haven't gotten to the fire. But, um, I mean, they are just blowing the shit out of this place. And people are just, you know, they're getting some kids out and stuff. But it's, uh, it's crazy to see how law enforcement deals with, um, with these kinds of situations. You know what I mean? Because it's like, these people have a bunch of guns, and they do think the government is going to kill them. But am I an idiot for thinking that they should have tried? As dumb as this is, but it's so innocent and harmless that it seems like it could work. Did they even, they could have tried sending out one patrol car, like purposefully underarmed. Just send out a couple guys with handguns, a couple dummies too, like get some dumb guys, just some old country backwoods idiots who are on the force. Send them out to old Koresh's compound, knock on the door and go, hey bud, we heard y'all had a lot of weapons here that y'all ain't supposed to have. Could we come in and just see if that's the truth? And just check out your house? And uh, if you get a no, then you go, okay, bud. And then you come back. And now you got all your boys with you. Now you got all your guns with you. Now you got sniper's position. You go, hey, bud. We came back. We got a bunch more guns, a bunch more guys. Going to give you another shot at it. Can we come in? Check out your stuff. Guys are coming in now, though. I'm telling you that. They're coming in. But uh, we're just going to check out the stuff. No firefights. Just want to check it out. And if he goes no, you go, okay, all right, okay. And then you take those guys and you leave. And you leave again. And you come back. And this time, you're coming in. And you know you're coming in. And you are prepared to come in. You drive up. Snipers are ready. Big guys are ready. Trucks full of dudes are ready. You got a megaphone. You go, David. We've decided to come in the house. Because you've said no twice, we've decided to come in the house. We're coming in the house today. But this is the third time that we're just going to ask for you to let us in. If you let us in, we come in. We have no reason to harm you because you've let us in. We're just going to check out your shit. And if there's an issue, we're going to take some stuff and you might get in some trouble. Which is not a good offer to Dave. I get that. Which is not a good offer. It's not a good offer at all. It's a bad deal. But it's a better deal than, hey, David, you said, because this is what happens, you know, he'll say no. And you go, okay, well, bud, all right, okay, that's three tries. You said no. We're going to come break in the door. And we're going to kill anybody that tries to kill us. And then we're going to sort this whole thing out. Even that makes sense the problem is they came with the gun guys the first time and as police you have to know that if you have gun guys you're probably gonna kill a bunch of insane evangelical christians with them that's just what you do it's just what you do okay and chances are in my plan the second wave probably would have started a gunfight too. But the problem with Waco is they showed up the first time 
with all these guys, with all these guns, with all this stuff, and didn't have a lot of patience, and then a gunfight started. And I know so many people, probably smarter people than me, are listening to me and saying, well, Cooper, if you hear that people have hundreds and hundreds of you know, lethal assault weapons, you don't ever just send two guys out there. They'd be killed. They'd be slaughtered. That's so obvious. But to me, what's also obvious is what's obvious to David Koresh, which is, well, of course I can kill these two cops right now. It'd be easy. It'd be no problem to kill these two cops. But if I do, then the other cops are going to come back, and they're not going to ask any questions. They're just going to start killing me. So why don't I talk to these guys while the stakes are low and maybe try and figure this out? Then if he says no, he says no, and you got to do what you got to do. You got to kill some kids, you know? No, you don't. But I'm just saying, yeah, I, I would say, you know, start low. Start low. But they didn't start low. They started fully gunned and just ready to go. And then you just end up in this weird place where all of a sudden you got to wait for them to shoot at you again. That's what's, I don't know, that's what's weird is like, when laws are and are not laws, you know? Because, like, during that firefight, they're just shooting into the windows. I think a couple of people got shot. I don't know if anyone died in the first firefight, but if anyone did die, nobody would be in trouble because they would just say they were shooting at us, even if the guy that got shot was just shot with an armored bullet through a wall and he didn't even have a gun in his hand. It wouldn't matter if he died. You'd get away with it, you know? But now I'm at the point of the documentary where... At one point, David Koresh goes to his window and just stands in the window and just looks out at a sniper. And a sniper is there, and he describes the situation. Snipers are very good storytellers. Um, And he's like, I'm sitting there, no humidity, no wind. It's a clear night. It's an easy shot. I can hit a dime from 300. He's only 290 away. I got his whole upper torso in my goddamn sight, so he can shoot his nose off, no problem. And he's like, I could have killed him, and I could have ended this, because the leader would have been gone, and I would have stopped all this funky business. But I knew if I did that, I probably would have spent the rest of my life in jail, which I don't think is true. That's an easy lie to get away with. Like now, because he's explaining the situation, we know that David Koresh was unarmed, and bah, 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 bah. but... I mean, if you fucking kill a guy that's been part of a police standoff that is now on national news, it's like, I feel like the cops are pretty good at being like, he also had it. You know, it's like, it's not that crazy. Like, you can get away with that. But yeah, now he's just in this like weird moral conundrum of like, do I kill this guy? Do I not? And then it's funny because like, just... What is im and permissible and impermissible in those situations is uh, just changes moment to moment, you know, because like eventually the government just, as far as I remember, poured a bunch of fucking kerosene or whatever inside that house and lit it on fire and then just like burned kids to force people to come out. But then they're crazy Christians and they just didn't come out and then they just watched a building burn and were like, bah, fuck. I'm not at that part of the documentary yet. But it's funny because the one sniper's like, well, if I kill this one guy with one bullet, don't harm anyone else. I 
and go to prison forever. And then fucking meanwhile, you know, not a month later, they're just fucking torching the place, you know? So, I don't know. It's, uh, it's not good. But, uh, you know, it's weird, too, that there are people that were a part of that that are out of jail. I don't know if they should or should not be, but they're not in jail, and they're just talking about it. Like it was just a part of their young life, you know? And it's weird, because I feel like everybody wants to be part of some kind of cult or commune kind of thing in their 20s. I feel like that's just a weird urge. It's an easy way to be independent, you know? You're not, it's not the boring thing of just paying rent, you know? You're you're working for God or whatever. But it's weird the people that get drawn into those. Because a lot of times the people that get drawn into these cults are... Um, the kind of people that would just annoy you on the street in L.A., you know what I mean? And not annoy you, like, come up to you, like, you just see him walk by and you'd be like, ugh, what a douche. Like, one of the guys who I'm pretty much speaking about exclusively right now, he was a member of the Branch Davidian cult. He was a big uh, music guy. He's like a leather jacket wearing Sunset Strip in the 80s, going to the Roxy, working with bands or whatever, long hair, cool kind of guy. And then somehow he just made his way to Texas and got involved with uh, the Branch Davidians and then moved into this fucking insane house where they did God knows what and then eventually got into a standout with the police where then the rest of his life had to begin because that was gone. And it's funny because it's like, damn, of all the cults or communes, you like he should have joined one of those fucking anarchist communes that last for like a year and a half, you know? And you just make fucking oatmeal and whatever, and you act like you're starting a new society. You know, he should have done that. That's way better than fucking we are standing up against evil overlords of the world, you know? But then he's there, and now he's now he's fat, too. And it's weird because a lot of times, you know, uh, overweight people have experienced a lot of trauma, which is why you shouldn't be mean to overweight people because it's tough enough as it is. But a lot of times the reason they're big is because something horrific happened to them. So you, you should fucking be nice to them. Um, but it's interesting because you see this guy talk about being a part of this horrifically traumatizing experience and now he's obese and you're like, huh, well, that's probably where it started, right? You were young, skinny, you loved music, you had goals in life, and then all of a sudden, David Koresh's head gets blown off in front of you, and you don't feel so good no more. You know what I mean? You're not too excited about the cause. You're not really down with the system. I don't know. Um, We're running a little low today, I'll tell you that much. Uh, we didn't have a lot to bring to the table this week. Um, I think I'll just cut it off early, keep it a light podcast. Might as well give you quality over quantity. Uh, we're already slurring words. Um, I'm about seven handles of Jack Daniels. No, I'm sober today. Um, but anyway, we'll be back next week with more content, more hot news, more ripping, rocking gossip. And I'll see you all next week. Thank you so much. I love you.